Hey all, we're back! Welcome to Film Sock, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we are talking about the disastrous genre of the biopic, at least in my view, uh, with the film Maestro, which is cur- currently streaming on Netflix as our leading example, but there, God knows there's so many examples. Um, it's, the Maestro is written and directed um, by and starring Bradley Cooper. Um, and it's, of course, about the legendary composer, conductor, and music educator um, Leonard Bernstein, um, and is mainly focused on his fraught relationship with his actor-wife, Felicia um, Montalegra, I hope I'm saying that correctly, played by <laughs> Carrie Mulligan. The main, uh, and the main area of the con- their contention is um, Bernstein's well-known bisexuality, which it seemed as if she had an understanding of and was going to work out okay with it being open-minded about his sex life, and, and of course, it didn't wind up that way. So that's the main focus that we're looking at. It's produced by Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg and made with the full cooperation of the three Bernstein children. And the film is a prestige production with all the typical high budget qualities. Um, Bernstein, just in case by any chance you don't know, um, people don't, aren't, he isn't nearly as famous as he once was. He was once insanely famous. Mm-hmm. Um, he stood at a cross section of rich mid 20th century American achievement and experimentation in theater, music, movies, television, blah, symphonies, symphonic music, classic. He was, he was a huge um, figure just straddling all of these different worlds. Um, uh, uh, And he really merits a great biopic. I was quite excited when I first saw that they were going to do it before I remembered how much I hate biopics because they always fuck (laughs) it up or almost so. Um, But um, um, so it really deserves, he's really a subject that deserves to capture something of the excitement of the art and entertainment milieu milieu that surrounded him and, and his relationship to music and the public and his and Felicia's bold leftist politics and the complexities of their love lives, et cetera. Um, and what Bernstein got is, is unfortunately this instead. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're going to talk about other aspects. We're going to get into, you know, defining the biopic and just discussing it in broader terms. But, but first let's, let's get this maestro mess out of the way. Um, that is <laughs> titled, by the way, what is it again? What did I call it? Oh, damn it. Um, you called it maestro and the mess that is the biopic. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm not pulling any punches on this subject it's a sore subject <laughs> all right go ahead take it away dolores <laughs> oh god i mean i you know god my whole question for maestro and for the biopic genre in general is like who is the audience for this mm-hmm. because i came into maestro i think knowing more about leonard bernstein than the average viewer mm-hmm. like they start out at a party in the 40s mm-hmm. and you know i can spot Betty Comden and Adolph Green. Exactly. We actually know at least some, and some people know more than me. Some people were holding forth mostly in a rage. Yeah. Because they knew a lot about him and, you know, that the world he was in and how exciting it was. And they were just like, fuck, they didn't even do a good job conveying that, you know? Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Mm. So, I mean, there's this weird thing with this film that uh, obviously it's not factually, uh, accurate or you know detailed enough to please the hardcore but i'm a, i'm not a hardcore leonard bernstein fan i've never even read a biography of the man i just yeah, you know i know i could name like five things he wrote you know which is i think more than the average person and i came out knowing very little about leonard bernstein i mean i was mm-hmm. kind of wondering how did he get into music mm-hmm. um i you know i i wanted to know a little bit more about his relationship to his art instead of just his relationship to his fame 
Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, well, I, you don't seem to be really educating people about the career of this man. Um, so maybe this is for the more hardcore, but how many hardcore <laughs> fans yeah. are there out there? You know, like it's exactly. Who wants to know about this? See, what, yeah. what puzzles me is, frankly, I think you and I are the audience. <laughs> yeah, We don't know a lot about him, but we know enough about him to be curious about him. And we're actually interested in that art and entertainment milieu of that period. Right. So, right. So I think we are the target audience, which is what makes it all so amazing because, boy, did it miss us. We missed us. So it's just like, what are Completely. we doing? And, you know, there have been a number of people who've who complained. I mean, the reading got interesting, but because a lot of critics were like, wait a minute, let's <laughs> look into this guy that we don't know that much about. You know, most people know he wrote the music for West Side Story, but, you know, he did all this groundbreaking stuff. He was the director of the New York Philharmonic. He, he did the Young People concerts that, that aired weekly and that educated so many people about classic music, classical music. Which is like so important and is not even on screen once. It's not even mentioned. Not, yeah, never comes up. I mean, his great gifts as an educator in music, a conductor slash educator working with young people often, it's sort of there, but you have no sense of like the scope of, of, of why he mattered so much to people. People knew him. He was, he was a titan for, yep. or, for or regular people knew about him. Um, right. So that's what's odd. For all the emphasis on his fame, you somehow don't really get the sense of really. No, no. He super seriously was was famous. Like everybody would have known about him. Um, He like made I mean, he was kind of a Mr. Rogers of classical music, you know, like he made it accessible to the masses, which is such an amazing project in the first place. Mm. And to carry it off with carry it off with like, you know, such. Um, high quality talent, but also approachability. Mm. Like, what a legendary thing! Not even fucking in the film. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. So the de- the defense, you know, on the part of like, you know, Bradley Cooper is sort of trying to answer. I think I think Martin Scorsese is too. You know, we we were really focusing on the the marriage, his and Montiel Montiel and admittedly, they're very interesting people. But then you're really getting into weeds in an odd way, if you ask me. Yeah, like, me too. <laughs> not only like, Bernstein, but we're really getting into this marriage to this actor that none of us have ever heard of, even though she was, you know, fairly successful, I guess. Right. Um, yeah, is, is already odd. But then you're like, okay, this is going to be a hell of a marriage between two amazing people. And we're really going to get into why it's so complex and interesting. And then we don't. Nope. 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 Is she like a poor Carrie Mulligan just, you know, grows no. quietly grim and then yep. like 20 years later has a scene where she talks about him, you know, disappointing her and their whole family. But they mm. have to tell us that it's not shown, you know, oh, yeah. and it's like it's like it's got it's got a 1950s sensibility in the way she sort of sits around getting more and more frowny faced yeah. <laughs> and judgy. As he's having, clearly having relationships with men. I mean, they're apparently they had an agreement at a certain point early in their relationship that yep. if he really needed, and the emphasis was always on if he really needed to have sex with men, she would accept it. But yep. then she can't accept it. She's too, she, she, she feels she's losing too much of him. But that's not really even what it was. He was having relationships that were ser- quite serious, some of them, with men and women. Totally. The period they were engaged, which was a long fraught period. It was at one point it was broken off. She got involved with um, the actor Richard Hart. He died very young, and they want that that brought um, um, 
Burns, I keep saying Bern, Burns, it's Bernstein, right? Is that what you're I, saying? I believe it's Stein, yeah. Stein, okay. Bernstein, to get, they brought them back together and they got, finally got married. But it had been a long engagement and, it, you know, obviously it's a, they, are, they stay married to her death. But it really gives terribly short trip to the seriousness of the relationships he was having, both men and women. Wow. <laughs> you know, it makes it seem in the most awful way like his proper relationship that he's neglecting is his heterosexual marriage with children and his illegitimate kind of relationships are with men and they're sex only. And it just yeah. takes away the importance of them in a shocking way and associates them with his drug taking. Which is sh- whenever it's going to be shown to be out of control, well, that's when he's in a gay milieu. Right. And so there's just really like, God, this is embarrassing. (laughs) And you're so right. I love Carrie Mulligan, but and she's she she does the best anyone could do with a role that keeps hammering away on the same note over and over and over. Yeah, agreed. And it's uh, just like uh, to elaborate on your point. um, With the men, there's never one scene of emotion, really. Um, There's, you know, sex is implied, but like you don't see emotional entanglements with men, which seem, you know, seems to be at the heart of his conflict. But um, and it's a total lie from what I'm reading anyway. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That he had a very serious relationship with the man who is most often represented. um, What's his name again? Tommy Cothran. Who worked right. with him as you know was kind of um, aiding him when creating his mass. Uh, that was the name. Wasn't it just called Mass? Yeah, um, symphonic composition that you see him creating um, in the movie. Um, he was that was a hugely important relationship, according to someone who was who was a later who was later involved with Tommy Cothran when he was dying of AIDS. Um, um, th- there was actually a demand on Felicia's part that that he choose that um, Bernstein had to choose. It was her or it was Tommy, and he picked Tommy. <laughs> yeah. He was with Tommy for a, a significant interlude before, you know, he finds out um, Felicia's dying of cancer. He goes back to, to her and stays with her to her death. But that that's not, that guy barely has any lines. He just hangs around. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we see him sort of picked up by, by Bernstein at a party who keeps stroking his hair and telling him how cute he is and everything. And he hangs around in the background driving Felicia nuts, but there's no indication that it's in a very serious, important relationship. Right. Yeah. So much of, I think it's time to talk about Bradley Cooper. Okay. (laughs) Let's blame him. Let's blame him. Okay. (laughs) I'd like to, like, there's so much about this. It's kind of, the script is kind of interestingly shaped and arty just because it's kind of irregular. but my God, like he has a way of everything. It's like he tries to give the film to Carrie Mulligan's character, sort of, mm-hmm. but everything rotates around him. And I just think Bradley Cooper thinks of himself as a much deeper actor than he is. Yeah. Like he, I, 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 re- I, I have to say, I agree with Eileen. I know you wrote a piece about my star mm-hmm. for Jacobin and you mentioned turning on Bradley Cooper during a star is born. That is yeah. also when I turned on Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, because well, that be fair, Bradley Cooper is actually much better in smaller, funnier roles. <laughs> yeah, Rocky exactly. Raccoon, terrific. <laughs> right. um, he was good in American hustle. He's a second, second lead, funny, extreme character, much better. 
But give him the big, lugubrious, dramatic lead and all of his weaknesses show. Totally. And he takes himself so seriously and everything's framed around him like he's Marlon Brando or something. And it's like, dude, you are not that deep. You're just not. And his, you know, his like, I don't know. I felt like he didn't have any feeling for Bernstein. Like maybe he did personally or thought he did. But I just like, I don't believe you. Like you don't, I don't know. You're not illuminating this. I see Mm -hmm. your accent. I don't see like a light in you. And it was so interesting. There's a big set piece toward the end where he's conducting um, his mass. Is Mm -hmm. it his mass? Yeah. In a cathedral. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to be the big Oscar winning scene, you know, where he's like, you're like, wow, Bradley Cooper really learned to conduct. And Mm -hmm. my partner said something about like him, like we're watching it. And she was like, yeah, enough already, you know, like Lenny. And I realized (laughs) during this, this whole scene, I had not looked at the character once I was looking everywhere else around the room I was looking Mm -hmm. at the back of the soloist at the cathedral and I was like (laughs) my eyes aren't even on this motherfucker during his like main scene like there's just something hollow at the at the bottom of this guy and I don't like him like I he's this is such a weird irrational thing to say and it's based on nothing but my feeling Mm -hmm. I I think he's got this rage at the bottom of him and I think it's because he's not that good of an artist. And I feel that rage in Maestro and I felt it in A Star is Born, which was so shamefully rested from the tradition of like, give it, that movie exists so that a female star can do her can thing. <laughs> exactly. The poor bitch can't even be born. He doesn't even yeah. let her. And he, you know, he made that film about himself as a musician. It's like, Mm -hmm. you're not even a musician. Like, and the people who have (laughs) occupied the center of this film historically are like the defining singers of their generations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. you made this be about you and you're not that interesting. And, you know, like neither is this character. And like, I don't know, at the Bradley Cooper to me is just like, he's mad because he's not that good, but he's going to keep like shoving himself in front of our face, like (laughs) insisting that he has depth. Like I, I hate him. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I've come to hate him. I hate, I've come to hate his looks. It's a stupid pale eyes. I just hate hate him. (laughs) And, and it's all because of exactly this. I wouldn't hate him. I've seen him in things before that I liked him in again, secondary funny. Yeah. Um, And now I'm just like, I can't stand this guy. And, and yet he's getting stroked so hard. I know. You know, there's Lady Gaga just adoring him while he's resting the movie away from her, and she's so much more watchable than he is. And you're just like, right? Why does everyone love this guy? Why is everyone praising this guy? He's just not good enough. He but must be really charming in person. He must be. <laughs> you know, and he and he's able to get these projects seemingly off the ground somehow. So maybe that's also they'll forgive you anything in Hollywood if you can get things going, like big yeah. projects like this. So I assume we're going to be stuck with him. God help us. I hope he, he's oh. not nominated for major awards, but he might be because the, you know, the biopic, that's part of the biopic thing. It wins people awards. Right. Um, you know, it has that prestige picture quality so often. It has that this is a serious picture. And it's, if anyone's going to get a tour divorce performance out of it, it's usually the person who's starring in a biopic. So, yep. you know, there's a real threat that it's just going to be further stroking in love and then he gets to go on and, and ruin the life story of somebody else. <laughs> yeah. But yes, I'm with you. He's a huge problem and getting huger all the time. Yeah. I. It, so, I mean, okay. So this brings us to an important point about the no. biopic, which is no. that 
it's got that you know there's always like an interesting relationship between the star who plays another star yeah and like sometimes the thrill is that you know like daniel day lewis transforms so thoroughly into like lincoln you know yeah. that it's a thrill that it's um, eerie and yes daniel day lewis is the man who can do it yes that's right yeah yeah, exactly. And then sometimes, I mean, like, even though it's not my favorite film, it's like really mm. long and kind of boring. Uh, Lady Sings the Blues has, mm. I think, like one of the most interesting takes um, or like interesting instances of a star playing another star. Like, mm. I thought Diana Ross did a really good job of like doing an interpretation of Billie Holiday, mm. not an yes. imitation. Right. And like, right. yeah, it, w- it was a really interesting, like, to me, successful balance between like, it's you know acknowledging diana ross exists on her own mm. um and also trying to like you know like convey some impression of billy holiday and it's, um, a, it's an odd thing in that when you think back about the movie if you happen to have seen it she's all you remember like she's the whole show <laughs> at least for me and she was, yeah. she's so good in certain scenes you're like god damn how come she didn't have a much longer bigger career it's weird I know, totally. I don't know. Maybe she didn't like the experience of making movies. I have no idea, but yeah. But I still remember her her scene where I think she's is she in prison and she's still yes. coming off heroin. Yeah, she's great. She just is so completely out of her head, and she's so thin, and she's shaking all over, and it's I can still picture it. She's great. Yeah, totally. Which is, I mean, that's a good segue to talk about, like, you know, as a rule, these things are structured as melodramas. Yeah, and. And especially performer biopics like Maestro is and all of the other sort of like diva biopics we just named, like the person has to start from humble beginnings. And then um, these days, I think you see even more like trauma exposed as, you know, the sort of right. like uh, melodramatic uh, punishment and, and trials and tribulations that the mm-hmm. hero has to go through. Right. And then they're usually redeemed. Um, by a performance, you yeah. know, and oftentimes they, they like, to, yeah, they have to hit rock bottom almost always. It's the drugs, right. the alcohol. It's, 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 you know, it's been, it's, it's, it's a very much mocked formula. There's a, there's a hilarious Simpsons. They're mocking actually that old ah. documentary, that old show that used to do biopics. Uh, I forget what it was called. It's Behind the life? Music. Oh yeah, behind the music. Oh, totally. VH1. Yeah, Simpsons version of it, where they Ah. go through the absolutely rote structure of almost every one of them. And it's always, and what my favorite line is always: "Fame was like a drug. Um, It was almost (laughs) as much much as 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 a drug as the drugs Drugs. were." (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) But yeah, amazing. And we recognize the moves. There's that. There's that mocking. There's that parody called what is it called walk hard the dewey cox story you know so everyone Ah. recognizes it now but it doesn't stop it from being taken hugely seriously usually biopics and 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 again being prestige films well i i usually enjoy it you know Mm -hmm. i don't there are lots of films like this that i like like um i think one of the best that i've seen is la vie en rose about the life Mm -hmm. of edith Piaf that made Marion Cotillard uh, an international star. Um, Mm -hmm. And that totally hits all the notes, you know, but I love Edith Piaf. And I think, so I I really, I I can't. It also helps if if you don't have a very strong impression, if they're not very close to contemporary and if they're not totally famous. If you only have a kind of blurrier sense of them, it can really be great. Like, you know, again, the the obvious example is most people didn't know Fanny Bryce by the time you get to the late, you know, the late (laughs) 60s and there's Barbara Streisand to to do this 
celebrated interpretation. You're like, great. As far as I know, that's Fanny Bryce. Exactly. Exactly. Which is so funny because that's to me, that would be the example of like funny girl is so much about Barbara Streisand mm-hmm. and not yeah. the like purported subject of the biopic Fanny Bryce that like who I, I don't think you know anything about Fanny Bryce at the end of Funny Girl. <laughs> yeah, you probably don't. <laughs> yeah. And like I, mean, I also don't care. It's so great. somebody named Nick Ernstein, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. probably pretty loose. <laughs> right. Right. And, and that's to me, I mean, that's a fabulous film because it's really unconcerned with like mm-hmm. bringing any Fanny Bryce truth to the world. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, it's just about Barbara Streisand. I, I find it hard to watch them when it's especially if I, it's someone I love. I've still never seen Walk the Line, which is supposed to be great. Yeah. I love Johnny Cash so much. And there's so much visuals on Johnny Cash that I can't right. watch somebody else pretend to be Johnny Cash, even if they're doing a good job. I'm just like, no. Not my Johnny, not my Johnny. <laughs> so there's that agon, which a lot of people don't mind. Like I, for me, watching somebody pretend to be Judy Garland is almost inevitably painful. Yeah. Just okay. So did you see? No way. My, you didn't see me in my shadows with Judy Davis. I will say Davis. I was about to pay tribute. That's the only time I haven't been exquisitely pained. Just okay. because she's so brilliant in her performance that somehow. She conveys Julie, Judy Garland and Ness in, yep. in a way I still don't understand. That was genius. Yeah. Okay, great. Great. Yeah. And I, so it's yeah. like, but it's still, I still have this central question and the Judy thing even complicates the answer. Like, mm-hmm. I do wonder, like, who is the biopic for? Yes. Like, and and maybe, maybe you're right. Like, I see Le'Veon Rose being interesting to an American audience not so familiar with Piaf. Maybe it's right. to like, bring an artist, you know, revive them in the public interest. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's valid. Um, but with the Judy thing, you know, someone who is so well known, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of wondering like, all right, what are the pleasures of that? But yeah, I think it's just being able to marvel at Judy Davis's performance. And well, um, doesn't to it me- also seem like they always take stars who have a great deal, have achieved a great deal of, I don't know, cultural credibility. So yeah, that it's definitely. kind of built in. This is someone if I don't know that people who care about such things, if it, if it's someone I don't know well, I should know. Yes, totally. Yeah. You're right. It's an educating force. Yes. I Doesn't suppose. it have an educational, <laughs> a middle brows education kind, yeah. of, kind of quality to it? Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Which I, again, I, I don't object to, you know, I like, I have very middle brow taste sometimes and this is oh, one, one way, you know? <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. But okay, then the other day, oh God, I watched two in a row Maestro and then God help me, I want to dance with somebody, oh, the Houston biopic from last year. I was forced yeah. to watch this because I write about divas and oh, someone yeah. someone wrote like, you really must see this film. Um, no, I mustn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was so painful. It was like two hours and 20 minutes. Um, mm. Now, Okay, like four maybe films about Whitney Houston's life have come out since 2018. Yeah. And uh, like several, you know, so, and we've seen at least three documentaries. Uh, and like people who I, I like Whitney Houston, I'm not an enormous fan, but I've seen mm-hmm. these documentaries. So, like, fresh in the cultural imagination is like, you know, we all kind of have the facts in our head of what happened. Mm-hmm. This film obfuscates the facts she's not shown doing drugs until like quite late in her life which is not true and we all know it we just saw these damn documentaries you know (laughs) so weird 
And she, you're, you're forced to watch this woman who can sing. She sings very well, but she doesn't have an ounce of the charisma of Whitney Houston. There are, mm-hmm. uh, there are no fewer than I am. I'm truly not exaggerating when I say like 16 musical numbers yeah. and they're done in full. So you watch this person who is not Whitney Houston sing yeah. 16 Whitney Houston songs. And you're just like, why, why would I do that? Yeah. Why would That's- anyone do that? <laughs> Yeah. whatever so i mean that was a mystery to me i that was no i, I think was i think this is where we're left out of the audiences for this i think in some ways we're kind of venn diagramy we have we have part of us in it and part of us out i think there are people who just love watching someone else interpret the super well-known work of some singer some artist and if it's anything like an approximation, they're out of their mind with, their, and of course, our example could be Renee Zellweger doing Judy Garland. Just uh, the fact that she could sing at all, even if she's nowhere in the, in, the, <laughs> in the universe of Judy Garland, it doesn't matter. People are just like, yes, let's watch another of her famous numbers sung in full by Renee Zellweger. And I'm just like, this, how is this not hurting you? And oh. no, people loved it. Okay, yeah, I, that's beyond me. That was a horrendous film. Horrendous. Um, yeah. And, but, you know, again, so I think for some people that's thrilling. Like, but she could sing, right? Yeah, but she doesn't, she's nowhere, she's not anywhere. It doesn't matter. Big <laughs> voice. I think she did a really good, people hear people say, I think she did a really good job in this strange way, like they're watching their kid in a high school musical. And it's just right. like, who the fuck cares? This is a major motion picture that many people are going to take as, the person they don't know somehow it just calls me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's where you're getting into the area of the biopic that I hate so much. I want to kill it with fire. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Because, because of, because of that, because of the, it's appealing to that sensibility that yeah. I don't understand. I don't like, you know, the real thing is readily available. Why would you like this horrifying <laughs> weak right. imitation that is like, Oh gosh, darn it. I thought she did fine. Kind of thing. I don't understand. It's completely beyond me. I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. There are pleasures that are foreign to yeah. us. That are foreign to us. <laughs> yes. I, I think I don't like know. the encapsulation in a comforting formula. That's another yes. huge problem. Where I think you get genre, I mean, where you get biopics that are interesting is where somebody does decides to do a laser-like focus on an aspect. You know, occasionally it can work as just a standard, yeah, we're really going to try and take on their whole life. But like Lincoln was for me, um, I liked that movie because it focused on him trying to get the goddamn amendment passed. Yeah, totally. So we just did this laser focus on a section of his life. It didn't try to do, let's go from young real splitter, you know, for God's sake. (laughs) That's just disaster waiting to happen nine times out of ten. So that can be, that can really help. But for me, the problem is people would rather see the comforting, you know, kind of inspiring formula than they would the most all over and over the most interesting aspects of the person's life that you think well that'll be in isn't in like that happens yeah. over and over and i've just i just know because i've had to review so many of them like my my favorite example of awful is respect about aretha franklin uh, because jennifer hudson does you know everything a human can do <laughs> you know she's a fine singer you know she seems to be a talented actor but everything that was hardcore about Aretha Franklin's life, which was a lot, is just whitewashed to the point. It's, it's glossed over to the point that you're just like, 
you didn't put that in? I mean, you do it. And then in the end, all that spiritual uplift, it does exactly the formula. In the end, she's, you know, succumbed to kind of drugs and alcohol and she's missing dates and she's blowing up her own career. Then she comes of it. She goes, she goes and records her big gospel album, which indeed you can watch Sidney Pollack. I think it's Sidney Pollack's, you know, great documentary on it. It's thrilling. But the whole idea that it's purely uplifting for Aretha Franklin to go back into the church setting where her father reigned. Her father was a legendary, celebrated, um, you know, head of a church, head of a black right. church that was also, in Ray, Ray Charles's way of expressing it, and he would know, a sex circus. And that's a direct quote. Aretha Franklin <sighs> wore two children at, between the ages of 12 and 15 by two different <sighs> men. Her own father impregnated a 12-year-old while he was married. He was constantly having an affair. It was just, there was no safety. To say the least, the sacred and the profane were so disturbingly mixed up in that church yep. that I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be a mind blower. <laughs> and it's barely hinted at. It is barely hinted at. And then at the end, it's just purely like, yay, she's back at the church. She's got her own inspiration back. You're just like, what are you doing? But it's that yeah. kind of thing. Anything that's really exciting and interesting ruthlessly squashed or if it's a narrow focus it's the dumbest one the blonde movie for <laughs> Row, perfect example yeah. we're just gonna watch her be a crushed abject creature from beginning to end as if she never had was ambitious she never had a woman friend she never had any friends <laughs> she never had right. any life other than just being crushed by men over and over again so it's this kind of like it's either an ideological move like that that's that's you know currently a move to make or mm-hmm. it's how can we whitewash this to fit the formula and you just wind up with the dullest takes on the people who had amazing mind blower lives so in yeah. that I find the whole the whole genre is just infuriating it yeah it's very fucked and there's a way to like the so the performer biopic will always like feature a comeback at the end or yeah. you know some performance and yeah. it's and highly tortured all that tells you all the awards and citations and yeah. the ways they were celebrated the kennedy honors center honors the blah 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 yep that's what they do at the end of aretha that's very typical you know right. while you're watching the last you know inspiring performance kind of thing yep and well, what's interesting about it and like, you know, speaking of Hollywood's formula is like you'll spend two hours watching the absolute like sadism <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of of fame um, and you watch how how awful this is and how this like machine, mm-hmm. you know, is usually relentless and grinds people down regardless mm-hmm. of their health. Um, and then the thing that, you know, you're reassured with is show business. Yep. <laughs> you yep. know, and the show goes on. <laughs> they, they might have bottomed out, but don't not to worry. Yeah, <laughs> yep. fame comes back stronger than ever, and you're like, that's exactly it. And you're like, you mean the fame that you've been showing us is killing them? Yes, the exactly, okay. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because of course, I mean, the machine can never question the machine uh, yeah. in any real in any real way, but. Right. <laughs> Sure kicks up a lot of dust along the way, like mm-hmm. raises a lot of doubts about um, mm-hmm. the humanity of the industry. <laughs> no, that's so. right. You will never see a biopic about somebody who left, who walked away right. at the peak. That'll never happen. Nope. Never. No. So what's her face? Adele Hanel, uh, the French actress who, mm-hmm. who was in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. She left the industry. Oh, my um, God. Oh, Yeah. 
yeah, she's at the height of her fame and, Um, you know, she's French. So it's like, you know, it's a very misogynist culture, not unlike our own. And she's like, I just can't be a part of it anymore. And she, I mean, that's the only way, these are the only resistors to the system are the people who disappear. Right. I can name someone else who who once was so famous. You wouldn't, most people won't know. Her name is Deanna Durbin. Yeah, of course. She's such a minor star. She was a a huge star. She single-handedly, the money she made saved Universal Studios. She was a colossal star. She started off as the little, being made to be the little rival kind of to Judy Garland, who sang classical while Judy sang swing. Yeah. but she quit at 27 and went to live in France. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, Judy Garland would go to visit her periodically when she was touring around. And, and Deanna Durbin would, would say hilarious things to her like, you're not still in that business, are you? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> Deanna Durbin kept trying to stretch and be a grown-up and everything. And she kept having to play the same, the same childish roles she'd grown up on. And, and all of the, I'm sure all the terrible things happened to her that happened to, you know, versions of it that, that happened to almost all the children and then young adults who grew up in the industry. Um, but you're never going to hear about people like that. Because that doesn't fit the formula, even though that would be super interesting. I would love to know all about what is that like? To go yeah. from that kind of fame, which is addictive, well, let's not get ourselves. Um, yeah. It's not like you're, you're going to walk away from everyone knowing you and, and, and giving you the best table and restaurants and all the rest of it and the money <laughs> and everything else and not miss it, at least some of it. So, I mean, that's a really interesting thing. How do you make a life for yourself after? We'll never see that biopic. No, absolutely not. Because, I mean, you know, it's got to, you got to sell the fame dream. Otherwise, the whole thing doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, occasionally someone will do something. I mean, my favorite, you know, consistent favorite is, is Craig Gillespie, who did, you know, I, Tanya, <laughs> yeah, Tanya Harding, who obviously got, you know, very much ushered out of, <laughs> of, you know, of, of the world of her fame um, <laughs> as an ice skater after the kneecapping of, of uh, Nancy Kerrigan. Um, but he, he just does such a brilliant, satire of american culture as well as as just such a oh just a the most bracing harsh um take it all on yet still admiring portrait of tanya harding i i just revere that film and he's going yeah. on to do really interesting things i mean he got he got skewered for pam and tommy he, he directed the i think he was involved in writing and he directed the first three of the episodes mm-hmm. for being you know because pam you know pamela anderson was not happy about it did not want this thing to get made at all. But it's, again, it's very scathing about American culture. He does great work with people who get shoved into fame, about usually of, of a kind of tarnished kind and what mm-hmm. it does to them. You know, how annihilating and crazy it is. He actually, he actually gets into all those things that we just said, nobody gets into that. Nobody, nobody wants to deal with that. It, it's too ugly. It's not affirming. Um, mm-hmm. But he, typically takes it on. His most recent one made, I think, zero dollars. I might have been the only person to see it. It's called <laughs> Dumb Money. It's about a very, very minor, minor celebrity named Keith Gill, um, who was behind the whole GameStop stock squeeze. You might know about it. I'm not going to describe it all because it's too long. But um, it's wonderful. Paul Dano gives uh, my favorite performance he's ever given in his life as this, as this minor guy who becomes for a while a celebrity. Um, and the craziness, it's always the insanity that surrounds it, what it does to them. Keith Gill completely walked away. He took the money. He walked away. No one has ever heard of him again, as far as I know. Genius. He disappeared. He said, I'm taking this. I'm going. I'm not doing stocks anymore. I'm not on, I'm not on the internet anymore. That's it. Um, 
So he, he, I love him. And he's really there to demonstrate you can do interesting things. You can do really interesting, harshly critical, insightful things with versions of the biopic. But it's just that that's not what wins awards. That's not what gets the big budgets. That's not what has big star turns in them. That's not what most people love. Right. Right. Well, and there's also our beloved Pablo Larraín who did Spencer and Jackie. Yes. You're right. Um, He's the other perfect example of how interesting you can be. Yes. Oh, I forgot about him. How can I forget Pablo? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. But and in a way... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. He's kind of interesting because I don't think his films, they're not so much about actually portraying truths of Princess Diana. Are they? I don't know. I'm torn. I feel like they're there to like show the sort of like, again, this like sadistic side of of just fame in general and and femininity in particular, you know? Um, so like, for instance, I don't know much about Princess Diana, so I don't Mm. know how true Spencer is to her Mm. spirit. It seems, you know, but is that the point of his film? I'm not sure. You know, you're you're right in that. I mean, he frames up things that are pretty true. Like he usually does folk. He seems like at least in, in, uh, Spencer and, uh, Jackie, he does these Mm -hmm. very focused views of a short period of time. So with Jackie O, it's like, you know, the assassination of her husband and how she, handles it the funeral arrangements you know it's very very intensified and with Spencer it's this disastrous weekend that really did take place apparently um at whatever the hell the uh, the former Spencer the the Spencer home um um and holdings further holdings of uh Queen Elizabeth and you know Charles and everyone and they do these big family what Chris is it's Christmas right Christmas yeah so it's this, this last, I think it's the last disastrous for Diana's and the marriage, um, Christmas before they break up. So broad stroke, it act, that weekend did happen. And certain okay. aspects, like the way she'd go talk to the servants and kind of befriend them and stuff that was all frowned on. And, you know, the mm-hmm. weighing thing, that's all true. So there's a lot of framing up of truth, but beyond, you know, but on the other hand, Diana could not possibly have ever eaten that pearl necklace. So, so you, right. if you know the movie, you know the scene where she's, you know, eating soup and, you know, in a complete <laughs> rage and despair over her husband's infidelity. And she starts her pearl necklace. She pulls it, I think, and it breaks off and she starts eating these monster pearls that are impossible. Um, so, but <laughs> he, he brings acts of imagination of like their, of interior states, I think to frame up frameworks that are, that are, you know, kind of verifiable, but you're right. right in that he's so imaginative. He's, he is, I think, so is Gillespie. I know they're heightening and emphasizing and taking the material to do something with it. The, the difference is, so are so are the ordinary conventional biopics. <laughs> They're just doing something far, far duller and more conventional and dishonest, if you ask me, because they're presenting it in a in a way that suggests this is the true story. Right. As as we saw with Oppenheimer, uh, right. which you oh. know, dodged <laughs> the central ethical questions oh, of, of designing the bomb. Um, so many aspects that are central to Oppenheimer, like him being a really rich kid. So like, you know, so right. much of his hubris, if you ask me, comes right out of that. Plus his absolutely towering, ruthless ambition, which also always gets soft pedaled. What's up with that? You're doing yeah. these huge lives, you know, featuring people who 
have massive career success, and we're going to somehow pretend, as with the Maryland in Blonde, that they, they had no ambition. They never wanted it. You're like, you can't be at the top of your profession year after year after year without driving for it. I just like that. Why we why we have this squeamishness about the, that characteristic baffles me. I, I, it makes no sense because you would think like, you know, we champion ambition in other yes. ways. We're all but supposed I, to be striving, you know, to make the most of our lives in America. It's, it's a terrible system that's so high pressure. And yet that's the very thing we'll sort of pretend that, I don't know, someone just tripped and fell and then became <laughs> a ma- major star and stayed there forever. And you're like, okay, really? Right, but, right. They had a terrible youth and that's why they're so messed up. You're like some crazy ass thing. It's got to be some conflicted notion about the artist, you know, like still a romantic insistence that they be a natural somehow, you know, Right. that's got to be, I think, what's feeding that myth. <laughs> and, and when it comes to women, I think there's a real it's easier to see that there's this weird love of pass, a kind of passivity that mm-hmm. they were either so beautiful or so talented or so something that others then made them a star. Right. Um, I mean, with Marilyn, you find you basically get the impression that the only way she made it was she got raped in a in a studio head's office, and somehow that made her a star. God, right? Um, yeah. And you're just like um, Marilyn Monroe worked for years, <laughs> years. She was known for her intense work ethic when she was coming up through through modeling and becoming a cover model and becoming a bit player and becoming getting small roles and then becoming a star and you don't do that by getting raped once in a studio's office or even passed around by a bunch of men that's not how it happens so it's just infuriating and you see that with priscilla you know admittedly she doesn't have a career she's she's got this you know attachment she's married to elvis presley and that's what brings her fame but every aspect of her life where she took control of her life and Mm -hmm. did major things she was an actor for a while she was very successful she was very funny comedian in the naked gun series she took control of the of the presley family finances and restored them to health Mm -hmm. that's none of that is in the sofia coppola film Nope. What is, what is in there is all about how she's just this, you know, this sad little doll, uh, underage doll who's getting dressed and wound up and moved around by the the freakishly controlling Elvis Presley. That's all we see. Yeah. So with women, it's easier to see how yeah. there's a cultural, still a horrifying cultural preference. But with men, it's odd. <laughs> it's just downright odd. Yeah, we have really, I don't know. I mean, our myths about stardom are really complicated because it seems on one level unfair if someone um, it like is born with talent. You know, it seems mm-hmm. anti-democratic that one doesn't earn talent or something. Um, so, but, and yet that myth is, you know, so we kind of like counterbalance it too much, at least in the press with like a narrative of hard work, mm-hmm. you know, like um, it's always emphasized that stars also work in their own publicity because that's a way to justify their riches right. and fame, you know, but right, you're right, right in the biopic that work is de-emphasized and maybe just because work is difficult to show, you know, it's unsexy. 
It doesn't have to be, but I think people are not imaginative around that, you know? No. I mean, I think I can think of the oddest example of a film that tries to take on ambition as a driving force. It's Doris Day in in playing Ruth Edding, the singer Ruth Edding in Love And it's all about how she even has a line where she says, I don't mind that it was that it was hard work trying to make it. I minded that it didn't work, that hard work couldn't get me there. So she right. winds up getting involved with a notorious gangster in a great performance by James Cagney. Um, I forget his name now. Marty Snyder? Marty Snyder, I think. Okay. And she literally gets involved with him sexually. She, she tries to hold it off as long as she can. Finally, she can't. There's a, a horrific rape scene, still very effective. And then she's for, sort of forced to marry him as part of this devil's bargain she makes just because she's trying to be a star so hard and he can get her there. Yep. And it's, it's the weirdest thing to see Doris Day doing this. <laughs> totally. But that's one, you know, rare example of let's actually look at the kind of ambition that get that makes you fame and fortune. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. It's I, again, I think it's um, it's like an American series of conflicts because like at the at the heart of the myth of stardom is the myth of, is the myth of the American dream. Yeah. You know, like they're they're the same or they're very intertwined. Like if you work mm. hard enough, um, you know, you can achieve anything. And all of these films feed that. And there's nothing wrong with that in at the heart of it. It's just like you're right. It's the dishonesty about the way the many shapes that life can take, but also like, you know, the role that work really does play mm-hmm. in the in the films. And and also just like I, I wish someone would like work on conveying artistic inspiration cinematically. Yes. It's, it's a slippery thing. Uh, and it's not exactly the same as work, although you court it through work, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's another thing that I think it's just because it's difficult. <laughs> I know, I'm trying to even think, can you think of an of an example of anyone doing that? Uh, because I really felt the loss of that watching Maestro. Because exactly. there were clearly scenes where they were trying to do it and it wasn't working. Like when he yeah. fixes it, when the student is conducting a certain way and then he has him conduct and, and then he yep. tells him how to fix it. And we're clearly supposed to feel a big, oh, wow. I felt nothing. Right, right, right. Nothing, what? <laughs> what did you do? I don't, is it, how is that better? I, what? Um, yeah, so that really failed. But it was clearly tr- sort of trying. And a number of critics did point that out. Like somehow we're not getting the sense of why he was so, what was the, so compelling about his talent? But I, I'm yeah. racking my brains for where where do we see that? Okay, I the mean, only thing I can, the only movie I can think about that conveys that is uh, Amadeus. <laughs> oh yeah, which I really enjoy. Like when oh, he's yeah. writing Requiem. See, that on was an, that's an example of a delightful biopic. Yeah, it's a total. It even seems weird to call it a biopic. Seems like it's it's. It's more than a biopic somehow. Yeah, because well, it's like really about Salieri, you know? Yeah, really about Salieri. And, and it's got that wacky, wonderful portrait of, of, of Mozart. It's just this complete yep. <laughs> kind of mad idiot savant figure who's yeah. unfairly <laughs> making dictation from God when he writes right. music. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, that's I right. do love that. I think that's pretty successful. And it, it shows the process of working in a kind of like sexy, interesting way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we've, we've talked before uh, about this. When, when they try to show in the Judy Garland, A Star is Born, 
like that her talent emerges when she's jamming, she's singing with the band after hours. So it's not Mm -hmm. even, and it seems like it's a kind of spontaneous, they're ad-libbing this and they're just working together to create the man who got away. And it's this Titanic performance. But your whole point is, it's all so artificial and contrived. Like every gesture that's supposed to be spontaneous of her is clearly this gesture <laughs> that's perfectly um, <laughs> rehearsed and, and done in this kind of, but that you don't feel it that way. It's super powerful. See, great scene. Yeah, exactly. It's supposed to convey to the, J- the James Mason character that she's a genius. Like she's beyond just a good singer. He's a genius. Um, yep. And it 100% works. You just, I don't know, even know why it 100% works. It just does. It's a great rendition. But that, that, you, that you buy the artifice, um, I don't know why. You just do. Yeah, maybe because it's old. <laughs> and, well, it's old and, it's and there was that whole tradition they had in musicals. They called them the folk musicals. Or at least, mm-hmm. I forget if it was Rick Altman. Somebody does. Yeah, it's Rick Altman. Yeah, the whole trick is they're always pretending to celebrate spontaneous spontaneously erupting talent mm-hmm. so like if you see meet me in st louis and people will just spontaneously in a house party people will start singing and stuff and it's as if they just started singing <laughs> and right. they have flaws and someone will trip or mess up or won't sing it perfectly but at the same time it's made by mgm every goddamn thing <laughs> was right. perfectly placed and timed and rehearsed and everything else so it's it's all of this um, absolute artifice in the service of faking something, you know, spontaneous that emerges among people. Um, right. So because there's that whole tradition, I think they could just be like, oh, we, we know, we know the drill. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And A Star is Born does have really great language for describing like star quality. You know, he tries mm-hmm. to compare James Mason compares Judy Garland's like oh, yes. discovering her really talent cool. to watching a, you know, watching a great prize fighter or um, fishing. Fighter or, <laughs> yeah, he yeah. brings it to the realm of the, the athlete where uh-huh. where you see them what what go into the zone. You see them transcend themselves or what you think is physically possible with something right. that's beyond. Um, yeah, no, that is, that's a very, very memorable line. That's right. So it's like yeah. there are lines and there are scenes, but you're right. There's very few that are like, and I guess it is because in fact that Hollywood used to get so mocked when they did, when they did biopics about composers, music, like music yeah. songwriters and stuff, because it would all be so, so fake. Like they right, hear right. a very inspiring sound of tom-toms and suddenly be like, and then I'm writing like the beat, beat, beat of the Tom Tom, and that's how it night and day. <laughs> and it takes two minutes. And you know, yeah, it just it's it's like people sitting at computers. It's just it's hard to make it <laughs> look exciting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I loved an old composer biopic, you know, like from the forties where they like like you're saying, and it would be oh, an hilarious. excuse for to just like perform their songbook, you know? <laughs> oh no, that's it. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's the whole yeah. the whole reason you watch it or you used to watch. <laughs> they right. don't. They don't do those anymore. <laughs> At least it was unpretentious in that way. You know, there was. just oh, like yes, that was yeah. when you could really do artifice and nobody minded. Like nobody right. whatsoever. <laughs> like, this is the fakiest thing I've ever seen. I love it. I don't care. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I think that is my problem. The biopic is like something that's in between things in a, yeah. in a kind of weak, messy way. Not always, mm-hmm. of course, but you know, a lot of the time. That, that just isn't interesting. It won't take flight into the fantastical um, artifice and it won't get down to the gritty reality. So it sort of does a kind of faked 
realism that it just makes me crazy every time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. It's, <laughs> it's lost its way. I mean, you're right. It's because people's lives. Why are people's lives the most middle brow subject? I can't explain it. Um, yeah. And I should confess, I'm such a middle brow. I read, you know, Dolores knows this. I obsessively read biographies of, of, of actors, of writers, of paint. It's all, it's all in the arts and entertainment. And they're just the most banal, stupid, <laughs> usually terribly written. And I don't yeah. know, you know, and you once asked me, why are you reading these things? I mean, all these <laughs> obscure fucking star bios. They're not even stars. They're barely famous. And you'll be like, yeah. why are you reading that? And I said spontaneously at one point, I need more lives, more lives. <laughs> and I don't even know why. Why am I reading this? What am I getting out of it? Usually they're depressing as hell anyway. Most people are like, right. It's so awful to negotiate almost everybody's ruined. I mean, even people who like stay famous their whole lives. Then you've got like the Joan Crawford story. It's like fucking horrifying. Um, And I'm addicted to them. So I'm a total middle brow in that way. I really am into the the genre, the larger genre in some way I can't even account for myself. Um, I love that. Yeah. Well, because there's hope. It's ins- I don't know. Even if it ends badly, people who made a name for themselves, they did something. They you did know. Something. So that, yeah. <laughs> they right. did so got them somewhere. How the hell did they do it? I know. Right. I mean, it might be as, as absolutely as that might be all it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. No, and, no, you I know, really most- will read that part all eagerly. And then I feel duty bound to read the, the decline and fall and death. And I'll start thinking to myself before I get to that, and I'm going to read it. I'll be like, well, now I've got to go kill off, you know, Judy <laughs> Garland. Now I've got to go kill yeah. off <laughs> Charles Dickens again. And I got to, whoever it was, they, they've now got to be, you know, led to their grave, their sad grave. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's terrible addiction. I don't know what it's about. But, um, but yeah, so and, uh, why, or why I have more tolerance when it's the book form and it's not the movie. Right, I guess because right. I just think that, that the the movie version is so weirdly popular and it doesn't stop being popular. Like more get, seem to get made all the time. I think I've gotten to such a white heat of frustration is because I've just had to review so many of them. Right. <laughs> very couple of years that I'm just like, I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again. No, it's fair. I mean, it's a, it's a, um, it's, it's Oscar bait, right? It's like a statuette yes. generating machine. Yeah. I feel like an, any star who gets to a certain stage in their career wants to do some, one of these to mm. get, you know, some kind of Oscar. And of course it's like safe for the studios because the peop the subject is already a well-known name, you know, right. already bankable in some way. So yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> it perfectly serves the kind of the worst version of the entertainment machine. It really does. Yes. And you can yeah. see how it, how it would steadily grind down to just be like, well, why be more ambitious with it? People like it the way it is. It makes money. It, it gets us awards. It does everything we want it to do. So why would you even try for something more, uh, you know, more edgy than that, more edgy in the fact that you tell more of the truth <laughs> or you try to, right. like, you try to focus on the more exciting aspects of their lives, which again, almost never happens. Weird. Weird as hell. Yeah. No, rest assured, they're making money hand over fist. Nothing will change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You can cross check where the culture is so often by looking at what did they emphasize? Because that's like saying, what did people really want to see? 
Yeah. What what and what serves this the 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 formula and the money making machine? It's almost always. So for for me, the the we already said it, but the the, the easiest, clearest example is people like the abject Marilyn Monroe. People don't yeah. like the ambitious and achieving Marilyn Monroe, which is about as sad a, a state as you can get to. Absolutely. No, that's and that's a really fair criticism. Yeah. But well, I think I think we've said what we I need to say. I might have said it <laughs> four times over the same point. <laughs> it's a very it's a very short point with me. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> no, don't be. That's what the people come for. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Oh, I realized we didn't we didn't we didn't work out our uh or what what this keeps us in? Uh-oh. <laughs> well, uh oh. How about like in- inspiring comebacks? Inspiring comebacks. That's very very good. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I love it. Well, thank Great. you to your listeners, and of course, triple thanks to all our subscribers who keep us in inspiring comebacks. If you're not a subscriber yet, but you like what you hear, please consider signing up with Patreon for all the film site content instead of just the half that's available to the public. You can follow news of the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us in two weeks for more sensational film suck content. And until then, we thank you all as ever for joining us. Bye now. (laughs) Bye.